What's going on, Nav Church family? This is Pastor David. I'm excited about dropping this bonus podcast. If you're a listener to our podcast and you're not necessarily Nav Church family, we are so excited that you're joining us. I'm actually excited. I'm going to get out of the way as quickly as possible. I'm excited to be uh, joined this morning by Jess Strickland. Many of you are probably going to know that name because of the book that we are doing as a church right now, Starving. And uh, Pastor Jess, I am so grateful that you're getting up uh, early on your time, not necessarily my time, but uh, joining us for the podcast today. Welcome. Man, it is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first question is always a T-ball question. This is super easy, super simple. Uh, when it comes to who is Pastor Jess, uh, give us your elevator speech, your, uh, when you first go to a new church, your introduction, whatever it might be, we would just love to hear from you and um, just a little history about who you are. Grew up in a little tiny city, rural city, standing at the bottom stairs one morning and I felt like the Lord called me to be a pastor. And uh, that was at five years old from there to 21, 22, got ready to be that. At 23, a church called uh, Bible Temple sent me out, went to a place called Forest Grove. Uh, I had a great time there for about four years. Pastor I went to Bible school with said, hey, why don't you merge over here and help us? So went over there. We merged together, started pastoring that church in a historic church about a little ways away from that. Hey, why don't you come over here, pastor us and uh, merge with us? And so went over there. Started pastoring that about the mid 90s, was not liking what I was building. Uh, I was, you know, building frankly to be a superstar, uh, to be honest with you, to you know, the whole big man syndrome and all that was kind of tearing my life apart. So, 90s, we begin to change, and I wanted to be a pastor of a church I would actually attend, and so we started doing that. Uh, so, really, I, I am really proud to say that I am what I was called to be when I was five years old. At the bottom of those steps, a pastor uh, of a church where people are just trying to be formed and grow in Christ and and uh, all of that and 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 I'm 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 thrilled to do it. I would be, I'd be probably you know if you're gonna put labels on things, which isn't good because no one ever fits perfectly into labels. But I'd be like a real strong formation, a real strong charismatic, uh, real strong when it comes to things of theology and all that stuff is mixed all in there. And our greatest joy is just hanging out and being with Jesus and being changed by him. And that really is just trying to, what, what we're trying to help people do. We think that community of people that hangs out with Jesus changes the world. So in a nutshell, there you go. Absolutely. So uh, the name, the church name that you mentioned, the Bible City Temple, um, some people, some of our church may not recognize that name, but they would recognize the name Manna House. Manor House, yeah. Manor House, originally that church was led by a guy by the name of Dick Iverson. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was there in the 70s, it's really not the same church now, to be honest with you. A much different church then. Uh, you'd go into a prayer room for 30 minutes before a service and you could hardly hear. People just were praying. It was an amazing time. And you'd go into service and the worship was very unusual and interesting. And uh, Dick was a wise man, just brought in some of the greatest preachers from the, around the world. And after about two hours of a service, uh, he'd point to the prayer room. You go back in the prayer room sometimes in the evening, go back in there and pray. It was a it was a praying church. Holy Spirit really, really moved. And they started planning churches like crazy and then created an organization called MFI. And a lot of that is different now. Uh, but that was kind of the roots of it, the whole. There was just a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And you could hardly be 
uh, in those services and just not be uh, radically changed. So I was a Baptist, came into that. First time I was in there, I was in a in a class and they were they were they started singing this song. My soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowl. I never heard that song before. Never heard that song. I still remember it was the only time I'd ever heard it sung. Old Gordy Lundquist is always oh, over there at the piano. This is in the middle of a college classroom, and uh, all of a sudden uh, they start playing this chord progression, and the whole class, Hallelujah! They just, I mean, it explodes. Seven o'clock in the morning, it explodes in worship. I'm hearing people, uh, you know, singing and you know, tongues on either side of me. I'm going, oh God, deliver me from these people. Oh God, cast these demons. I was a Baptist man, artist you've ever prayed. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't deny it though. I went to the next class, same thing happened. Went to chapel, the same thing happened. I didn't like it, but I couldn't because I, I I had been in the presence of Jesus. I couldn't deny He was there. Well. That turned into, you know, me, me being sent out, taught there to Bible school, actually until just a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I was really involved in a school. I was praying, oh, God, deliver them of demons. When I was, you know, as a Baptist, you're taught somebody speaks in tongues. That's like, that's the devil happening. But here I am. I'm a tongue talker every day. <laughs> well, that's funny. My parents, who uh, started the church in 79, my dad has always joked the reason he started a church was my mom kept getting them kicked out of churches because she just would read the Bible and believe what it said to be true. So when she walked into her Baptist church and said, man, I found this thing called tongues and started doing it. It wasn't long to after the uh, pastor said, we, we think you may be a better fit somewhere else. And so <laughs> jokingly dad started a church. So mom would stop getting kicked out of churches. Hey, you, it's interesting because I started pastoring in 1979. Really? Yes. Okay. So are my roots go all the way back to that Dick Iverson group, wow. except when my parents, so uh, not that this is a story about me and people are wanting to know more about you. And I have some questions about prayer and fasting we'll get into. Um, but my parents uh, early in their ministry, an elder's wife passed away from cancer. And there was a group that actually came to my dad and we want to go to the morgue and try to raise her from the dead. And yeah. dad was just really scratching his head. And somehow dad was labeled that you didn't have faith. And of course, as you know, you know, late seventies, early eighties, that's your charismatic boom, your faith movement, those type of things. And dad started going, wait a second, people's lives, like if they stay alive is dependent upon my faith. And if I don't have faith, we jokingly planted about five or six churches because this group left and that group left and this group left. But dad, that's when my mom and dad started exploring what is the local church. Wow. And we got connected with a group out of California, uh, the David Shocks, and, and which oh. is a name you're going to know. Um, I remember many of dinners sitting around my, our family's kitchen table, uh, just being able to listen to him. And so mom and dad got connected with that group in California, David Chock and all them. And when I eventually got reconnected with MFI, I went, wait a second, we're cousins. <laughs> I, I didn't know we were in the same family tree, but sure enough, we were. David Shock, I mean, he he's just the best guy, man. He, oh, he was wonderful. I all those old prophets. I mean, Ernie Gentile's about the last one left of that kind of group of guys, but man, they were just oh, fantastic men. And and uh, all that group, uh, uh, you know, I Dick Iverson's message on the local church. So the group you're talking about, all those guys down in California, cousins. 
and I've been everywhere in every group imaginable, one of the most unusual, genuine lover of Jesus groups I've ever met in the world. Just incredibly special people. So you've got, uh, really, you've got an excellent heritage. So congratulations. I agree. Okay, so if you're just now joining us, I'm with Pastor Jess. We're going to start talking about his book, a starving that prepares you for 21 days for prayer and fasting. And of course, on the backside of it, you are ready for a fast at this time. So question for you, Pastor Jess, how did you come up with starving? Why was this book created? Uh, I maybe ask this question. What's your intent behind it? What was the goal behind creating the book starving? Well, I wrote it under protest. I'm uh, one morning, uh, you know, just right before Christmas, I'm sitting in my office, in fact, in this office. And I felt like the Lord asked me to write kind of a, 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 a daily road, a daily journey for fasting. There's so many books you go out and you read it on fasting and then you fast. I'm just sitting here. I was getting ready to write another book. And I felt like you said, do this. And I said, well, no one will read it. And but I did it, and it was it was like this it was like this labor of of love doing something that I thought no one would read. Who cares about this? And then about three or four days in, I'm thinking, well, these this is what I do. I've just never put it in a in a path. I've never laid it out in a journey. And I was realizing about after the fourth day or something. That's why I'm embarrassed to have my name on the book. If there was ever a book that I I felt like I've done that like like. God just gave it to me. This, this is the book. And you know something? I've written some really smart things. They don't sell. This thing just goes all over the place, you know? And I said, oh, God, that's so hilarious because I got to give you the credit because every morning he would just, I would just sit down. I'd begin to meditate and I would think about how he would take me through fast. And so I would just go another day. Well, the first year we did it, we just put it online on our, on our website. And I said, well, no one's going to be interested in this. And my daughter came in on the third day and she started reading and using it. She says, you've got two to 300 people using this. I said, well, great. And so we kept doing that for a couple of years. And then what happened, the reason we published it is because we, in devotions and everything else, we're trying to get people off the electronics during their devotional time. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to get, so even in our church, we're just, we, we even make it dip more difficult to get to it online because we want people to get the book in your hands, use the book. So uh, so what was really behind it is I I I didn't want our church, you know how you kind of fast was the first of the year I've eaten too much and need to trim some weight. Oh, by the way, I'll fast and pray. Or, or uh, I'm a little bit unhealthy, you know, so it all becomes that. I really, I think fasting is a great tool. It All of those are good secondary things and they shouldn't be like, we shouldn't put those down, that you do get some health benefits and you get some weight benefits. I, I'm not trying to make fun of that, but that's not, that's not the key thing. The key thing is fasting can be used as a tool, a gift from Jesus to bring us closer to him so he can form some things in us. Well, that's that's dynamite to me. My whole life has been devoted since 93. I want to help Christ be formed in people. I think that's where the power of everything is, and that's how culture is going to be changed as Jesus forms it. So I, that, that was really kind of the motivation behind it. Let's let it be the tool it's supposed to be to form people and let the secondary benefits be put back there secondary. And if you want to fast later for those other things, you can do that later. But this more is a kind of a spiritual fast. So. Perfect. So here's what I heard you just say. You, you're under protest, which sounds like to Jesus, if, yes. I, if I heard that correctly. Yes. But then this actually is your writing style was more of a personal journey 
of journeys that you've taken already. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's true. There's there's two things I do that are massively read. This was kind of my journey. So you're 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 almost reading my journal, except okay. you know, we went and messed around with it. There's another thing I do, like so that people don't get too far off in uh like here at church. I've written a, a bit of a a review on what I'd call every verse of the Bible. So when people are going, because we try to read people through the Bible about every five years. So like this confuses me, or I think it means this. Well, kind of go back and look at those reviews a little bit because they'll kind of maybe help you, you know, monitor not going too far and thinking it means something that it doesn't. So if God's talking to you, you know, he, he's not leading you into sin because you imagine that's what the verse is saying. No, this is what the verse, even that right there. So the things that are most read about me, those are really my personal journal notes, in essence, of what I'm thinking about those scriptures. So it's kind of like my my personal journal, the stuff that God has given me. That's the stuff that gets read. It's the way it should be anyway. So all the theology training that you have, all the degrees that you have, the, the, the $10 words for $5 minds, those didn't get read. No, that's fantastic. I read, I wrote a brilliant book on, on Sabbathing. It's brilliant. It just cuts through stuff. It's brilliant. No one wants to take a day off, so they're not reading it. Well, I gave, you know, we handed out in the church, so I'm rewriting it now. They said, Pastor, like, what words did you swallow? You know, I, I, what am I doing? I'm so sorry. So I'm I'm rewriting it now, and I'm I'm learning. And it wasn't like I I filled it, but you know, you can you can make it if you just up your complication by five percent in a book. This is what I've learned: up your complication by five percent in work in a book, and you might enjoy reading it. It might be helpful to you. But guys that are just you know, you're trying to make a living and raise your family. That's not helpful. So I just realized you cut five percent of off. 5% of it can turn the book into something completely different. So I actually, through all of this, I'm, I'm learning, I think, a little bit more how to write to be helpful and more formational for people. <laughs> I say this, this would be helpful for you. I chase this in all of my life. This is what I chase. I chase the guy. He's living in an apartment with four children, two bedrooms. He should get to spend time and have a thriving relationship with Jesus. So I don't, I don't think things should be so complicated, so hard, so torturous that only the retired and uh, the very wealthy can do it. We need to share this together. So in my heart, I'm chasing that God. So that's a litmus test. Yeah. If, if it's kind of going over that, then I, I like, let's let, let other people do that. I want to help that guy. And I feel if that guy is helped, then we're going to be helping everybody. Yeah. I love I love that perspective. Um, I know one of my goals when I preach. So, for instance, if I'm talking about the book of Judges, if you ever wonder what Judges is about, it's about judges. Like I, I always jokingly tell the church, God didn't write this to confuse us. Yes. Like the goal is numbers is about numbers. Yes. <laughs> you know. And yeah. so, as as you as you start unpacking it. I think there are times that when you can give that simplistic overview, which is probably one of the reasons we have so many uh, different versions of the Bible now, it's just trying to put it in language that people can understand it. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit wants you to know it. So that's that. I love that. If I take that avatar that you created of that single man, dad of five, works a job in an apartment, how can we get something in his hand? What an incredible goal. And I, I'm to some degree, I'm not even trying to write like like you're, you're taking this book and using it. 
I'm not necessarily even trying to write for now. I'm hoping that you'll take a book like this. And then when you're my age, because these words won't make sense when you're my age. And so you're going to need to rewrite material like this to help people even more. So that's why we're just trying to keep this thing going from generation to generation. And things need to be recommunicated in fresh ways in every generation. So that's really all I'm trying to do. Let's just let's just help the next guy make sure he's talking to his kids and yeah. everybody's getting help gets to know Jesus. So I love it. Well, I have the honor right now to continue my conversation with Pastor Jess. Uh, as you know, is the author of Starving. One of the things we talked about in Starving is the power of prayer. So, Pastor Jess, I, I actually want to just let this be wide open for you right now. What is prayer? What is the power? If you are brand new to Christ, what should you know about the power of prayer? Or I even say this. If you're one of those longtime Christians that maybe just have a habit of talking to Jesus, but not necessarily that intentional connecting with him. I just want to leave this as wide open. I'm sure I'll have a follow-up question, but just talk to us about prayer for a little bit. Well, there's lots of ways to approach this. I, But let, let me do it this way. The world is all built on lust, okay? So you, you, you have this drivenness. I want to be full. I desire to be full. I desire to be seen. I desire to, I desire to look good. Uh, I desire to have control of my life and make life been been my way. That would be the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. I I have these desires, and the like. I say the overarching word there. I think in scripture, good English word would be lust. I just I, I desire me. I desire selfishness. We were not created to be selfish. It doesn't work well with us. It destroys us. It makes us depressed. It gives us despair. It, it just strips everything out. We were created to be faithful. We were created, the, the, the Hebrew word is said. We were created for loyalty. We were, we were created, in my mind, for the, for the depth of covenant love. I'm hanging on to my wife. I'm hanging on to you. I'm hanging on to friends. I'm I'm not I'm not leaving that 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 has said and that's how the world is supposed to work. So that got broke out of us and then all of a sudden now it's all about me. So my world is not I I want to focus my life on others. Now my world is I want to focus my life on me. And so I I want to be filled. I want to look at all that stuff. It's it's all about me. So Jesus comes in and he says, "Listen, I like I'd like to I'd like to kill you and raise you back to life." And so, but what I want to kill is not necessarily your body. Your, your body, that's going to take care of because what you've done to it. But what I want to do is I, I, I want to bring to life your spirit. And I want to put this like in the old thing, accept Jesus in your heart. I want to put Jesus in your heart. And if I put Jesus in your heart, I'm going to put personal hased right back into you. So ultimately, when a person is fully formed in Jesus, he can love his enemies. He can love people that he doesn't necessarily enjoy being around or find comfort in. He finds that he can end up loving people he could never love before. That is the, you know, the ultimate uh, in spiritual formation is that the same thing that was in Jesus is in us being expressed to the world. But right now, so I have this thing in me, but there is a war that is waging in me at the same time. And that is, I want to go back and I want to be ruled by lust. Okay. So here comes prayer. Prayer comes down into the middle of all that. Now, we think this about prayer. Prayer is <clears throat> it's kind of a, 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 a difficult thing. In fact, 
they're wanting me to do kind of a version two of starving and I'm working on it right now. And part of it in there would be just to take a few minutes to walk people through the Lord's Prayer. So let's just look at the Lord's Prayer because it teaches us a lot about prayer. And I, I just give you just two, two lessons on prayer from the Lord's Prayer. Number one, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Timothy Keller says the best translation of that word hallowed in the English language, it would be ultimate. Our Father who art in heaven, ultimate be your name. So like when I do the Lord's Prayer, most mornings I get on my knees and what am I doing? I'm saying there's this whole lust world out here that's trying to rule me, trying to get me back into doing things for me. Here I am, Father. You're my dad. I belong to you. You made it so. And your name is ultimate to my name. I renounce all. I renounce cancer. I renounce you know, all these things. And everything now is submitted to your ultimate name, Father, Yahweh, and the name you've given your son, Yeshua, our Jesus. So that's number one. That's prayer. And then number two is Jesus, there's not a personal pronoun throughout the Lord's Prayer. It's always our, our Father. So what prayer teaches us right from the beginning is that prayer does not start with me. It starts with us. So I don't pray for me first. I pray for us first. Prayer is not a time for me to pray for me. I get to be like, I tell people this, when I get down to the, by the way, pray, just so this, it put my, when I pray the Lord's Prayer, it's probably five at the most 10 minutes a day. It's not like a long thing that I do, but I'm, but I'm praying for other people. When I get to the Lord's Prayer, like I pray for our church. Oh, God, I'm praying. Oh, Jesus, provide bread for people in our church. I'll think about different people. Provide bread, blah, 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 blah. By the time I get to me, and by the way, about my bread, Lord. Oh, forget it. If you get them taken care of, I'm taken care of. So I find my prayers become very, very small because as I'm praying for others, I'm already included in that. But I'm not thinking selfishly when I do it. So <clears throat> I think this about prayer. So having said all that, I'll say this. Prayer is not making a petition to God first. It is not talking to God first. I think prayer before it is anything else is it surrendering our heart and returning our allegiance back to the Father and His Son, Jesus the King. You have my heart. And I know I belong to a us. I like I say this to people all the time. You will never get saved. Jesus is the only one gets saved, and you and I get saved in Him together. We are saved. So what it does is it it here's my heart. It's coming back to you. So prayers in my mind is this great gift where I get to join with all the other saints in Jesus. And I get to now bring my needs to God. And he's given us in the Lord's Prayer, you, you know, he's given us the kingdom, the prophetic side of prayer, the bread side of prayer, the forgiveness. I get to confess my sins. And then I get to talk about, Lord, the way I'm going today, the, 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 the future of my life. Keep it away from that evil one who wants to take me back and to be ruled by lust. So that's that's a, that's a long way to answer it, David. But that's how I view prayer, just those two things. First, I'm giving my heart back to you. And second, it's about us and me after us. So I make sure I'm fitting into the us. So I'm not getting back into lust in my prayers. Give me a car. Give me a house. Uh, uh, give me this. So here's what I love about that answer is it, right now, if I had 10 pastors in a room and all ask a question of tell me the power of prayer. Um, 
I'm not sure I've ever heard it explained specifically from that perspective and, and it's parallel to lust. But everything that you said, basically, it was the temptation that Adam fell to, that Christ didn't fall to, those those three main temptations. Um, I, I love the way that you just paralleled that and how the, the word allegiance there, because you are right. Um, Thou shalt have no other God before us, before me. The problem is most of the time I'm the God <laughs> that I put before him. And so I absolutely love that. My guess is, and this is another subject, but my guess is Matthew Bates wrote a book called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. My guess is every time the word is used in the New Testament, so when we hear the word grace and uh, and faith, we do not hear it the same. We do not hear it like they heard it. It was not a believe word to them only. That was the that was the that was the in part of the definition of that word. When they heard the word faith, the I, I I didn't like this word because of how it's used in the American language, but it is the best word we have. They thought allegiance. So when Jesus was saying your faith has made you well, what he's not saying is you believe, believe, believe really hard. And so that made you well. What he's saying, your faith, you're completely, your complete allegiance, you're giving your complete heart and entrusting it to the Father. Here's what I think it does. It wiped out anything between you and me that would hinder healing. And I let healing flow. Some people say, well, why, is, why, why aren't all people healed? They are. Everyone is healed. We just don't like the timing. <laughs> Sometimes you're like complete healing. I got to die. That's the way it goes. But, uh, you know, and people don't like that answer, but it's it's really true. You pray for my healing. I'm getting healed. That You cannot stop that healing entering my life. It cannot be stopped. It will have a work. And a lot of times, well, honestly, David, most of the time people are healed. You know, God put things in our body and then he, I mean, how many people do you know if they're not healed instantly, it's quicker or they lasted longer? I mean, they've done all these studies on prayer. It like You're dumb not to think that when you're giving your full allegiance to God and praying, something happens because it wipes away all hindrance. So God flows. Yeah, I would say anytime I get in those conversations of the Bible's false and there's all these misprints and prayer doesn't do this, I don't know even how to have those conversations because the facts are <laughs> like yes. the proof is out there yeah. that, that it does work. So, um, so Pastor Jess, another question I'd love to ask you in regards to what prayer is. Again, the author of Starving, so excited to be having this conversation with you today. Um, this is this is not one of the questions I sent to you ahead of time, so I apologize for a curveball, but here it is. What do you think or what do you see is the number one thing, and I'll just own this, the number one thing I do wrong in prayer? Yeah. When it comes to praying, is there such a thing as praying incorrectly or praying wrong? And so I, I know that is not a question that I sent you ahead of time. Um, but hearing everything you just described as far as prayer, that lust, that division that we're having, I would just know, I'd love to know if anything pops to your head, why am I praying wrong? Well, I think the biggest thing, the two biggest things, and they're probably joined together that we do wrong. I think there's two things you can do wrong. Number one is just dishonesty. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, the children of Israel, they're down in Egypt and they're, getting ready to go to the promised land. 
So they get out of Egypt and go across the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. There's no water. What are they doing? They complain. And what do they say? We want to go back. That's not very good praying. <laughs> so I say this. When you complain, man, you're worshiping the devil. You grumble. I think I say that in the book, actually. When you when you oh, grumble, wow. you're, you're worshiping the devil. You don't want to do that. So that you don't want to do. A little known story that we don't know about is when the children of Israel were coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem. Psalms 84 talks about they get to the Valley of Baca, Baca, the Valley of Weeping. What did they do there? They started not complaining. They started lamenting that there was no water. So here's how they were lamenting. Oh, God, we are hurting. We don't have water. This is terrible. We Like, we're miserable, God. But we're going to Jerusalem or we're going to die here. There's your difference. They were honest about their need, but they also were not going to go back. So that wasn't the reason it was lamenting and not like it. I think David's complaining that, no, he's lamenting because he's being honest about his feelings, but he's not going to go backward on God. Yeah. Well, God wants us to say anything we want, but not, I'd rather have Egypt than you because I'd rather live under lust than I would under your grace. Mm. So the thing is, be, if you're hurting, say it to God. If God is unfair, shake your fist. You're unfair, God, but I love you. And my life is surrendered to you and you're my king. So number one is honesty. And then the, the other thing is why I think the Lord's prayer is so important is don't be selfish. So see, James says, you have not because you ask not. But then when you ask, then you ask with these weird motives so you can have what you want. And that's not what prayer is about. That's why I, I think that we have taught, and because we're so individual in our culture, we've taught people to pray wrong. We taught, I'm going to pray for myself. No, I'm going to get to myself. But I try to start prayer with us. My, I thought about this because when my grandson died, I prayed for him. So I thought about this in the Lord's Prayer, and I, I prayed for him. If I had my grandson to do over again, I'd stand at the top of the parking lot. The sun would rise in the morning as he was fighting for his life. And uh, if I had that to do over again, I would start my prayers more like this. There are children in this hospital, God. Each of them have a need, and we all are now coming to you together. And then at the end of that, I said, oh, God, obviously, this is what's on my heart for my grandson. So I would have realized I'm not the only grandfather facing what I'm you know, what I was facing. I, I should have taken that up together. Why? Because I didn't even want to, uh, I don't even want to turn the desire for my grandson to get well into my desire. It's still a kingdom desire. And we're still, God wants me to be thinking this, this way all the time. We're in this together. So the individual is important. By the way, I want to say this, the individual and the individual prayer is important. It's really essential. We are individually members of one another. And you cannot take either one of those away. We're individual, but we're members of each other. So some people, this is a cult, you know, it's all, all the group and you're going to submit to the group, whatever. We have another cult. It's all the individual in the, in the body of Christ. I am completely, absolutely different and yet joined to a body of Christ. It only happens actually in Jesus. I can individuate in this body that deeply loves me and everybody else cares about me like I care for everybody else. So I think those two things, honesty, and then we just can't be praying for our own desires. I think those are probably, probably others, but those are two of the big things in prayer that I think really get us off. I love it. That, by the way, your answer was 10 times better than what I could have hoped for. <laughs> um, 
just at fantastic. I, I know that people are going to be walking away um, with a lot of content because you know this on a Sunday morning, there's only so much time to preach so much. And it's one of the reasons I enjoy anytime I get to interview, have a conversation with, we just get to unpack it a little bit more. Sometimes I wonder, I mean, you can't do this because we are called to preach and you have to do that because it has its own special thing. But sometimes don't you wish you could just like go a few weeks and say, okay, whatever you need to ask me today. So I get right at that issue. Yeah. What I always end up, if there's like one Sunday that doesn't quite fit into a series, I always say, hey, let's just do live Q&A, whatever people oh, want to answer. Yes. Um, the problem is it always ends up feeling like it gets filled by something else. Yeah. And I go, man, what would it take to every Sunday at the end of the sermon, which we're now going to be doing this online, but at the end of every sermon, there has, there's no way I communicated properly. Yeah. Not everybody got everything I said. And I know that. What does it take to have live interactive communication after a sermon to clarify those things? So, no, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, that's what, that's what Timothy Keller did. He would have a Q&A after he'd preach. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I can tell by the way you're interviewing me, you would be very like you're a very good interviewer. You'd be very good at that. And well, and if I had Tim Keller's brain, I would do that. But... Oh, you, you, you're you a bright guy. You, you can do it well. I, yeah. can tell, I can tell I already like you. I like the way you think, the way you interview. So you would do really good. Oh, thank you. Well, as we continue our conversation with Pastor Jess here with the, the author of uh, Starving, um, I want to jump into the conversation of fasting for just a little bit. Um, uh, I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to brag on you and your book for a second. Um, I've read the Jensen Franklin, the, the, so many books out there on fasting that I think does a, they do great jobs. What is a fast, how to get into it warnings. And I'll even say this morning, if you're going to do a 40 day fast and you think God, it's God himself will inspire you of what to eat on the backside, just be smart about that. Don't you can't eat a cheeseburger on day 41. I'll give you a hint now. And so there's a lot of just great data out there. What I so appreciate about your book is I feel like you've married the process of fasting, the process of, of prayer with the intellect that you need to know going into it. For instance, water intake. Another example would be sugar. Uh, so much out there that we put into our body that if you're truly going to do a healthy fast, you should know there's going to be some negative side effects on this. Uh, uh, introducing the Daniel fast, media fast, different things like that. So when it comes to, let's just say it this way, the power of fasting, what is fasting? What do we need to know about it? Uh, I, again, wide open question for you. Tell us why fasting needs to be a part on a regular occurrence of a follower of Christ's private discipline? I think, and there could be maybe several things said about this, but my, my opinion on fasting is the humility factor. It humbles you. You, you are weakened by fasting. And like, if you're not used to fasting, if you fast, if you're, if you do three meals a day by lunch, man, you know, you're on a fast. If you skip meals, then it might take a couple, but you're going to know you're on a fast. And then and then things start coming to your brain. My brain is wired to desire food in kind of an unusual way. So fasting makes you alert 
makes me alert. I'm not as hungry for Jesus and for the word of God as I think. So you, life isn't built so we like we live in concentration camps for five, six years. It's not built so we have so that so that the horrors of sin weigh against us every moment of the day. And so we're not aware of how how my selfish nature has ruined this world. That's that's almost that's almost lost. Like when you go outside and look, like we live here in mountains. When you go outside and look at the jagged mountains and stuff, this is what we're supposed to see when we look at those jagged mountains and said, man, something catastrophic happened to the earth. When you're looking at here, you look at kind of the lines, the way that the waters receded in the valleys and stuff here. You like it's supposed to remind us, huh? There, there was something catastrophic. It looked like there was a, like a global flood that's been receding off of this area. It's supposed to remind us of that. Then it reminds us there was a day when God had had enough. And I'm reminded of this. Only eight people out of all that were destroyed uh, got through that. So, so I'm not aware how my selfishness plays into this planet. All of a sudden, fasting is this wonderful thing where I become aware, wow, like, I just take things for granted. I eat. And then, and then like for me, the first day is just horrible because I just like, I want, like if I go some days without eating, but I'm not fasting, I can eat anytime I want, but the day you can't eat, you know, like it's just by, by, it's like okay. night, by nighttime, I'm just hmm, wondering about food and stuff. And so Julie and I tell the second day I jump into this and then here's where the fasting takes over. It starts doing this. I do Jesus. I want to eat again, but I do want you more. Man, I don't live by bread alone. I do live by the words that proceed from your mouth. So what fasting does is it starts slowing down everything in you. Here's If you do this, if you're just not eating to, like, let's lose some weight and not eat. Okay, that's one thing. But let's say you're slowing down your, your person. Like in a, during our three-day fast, we're going to have 48 hours of prayer straight as a church. And so, you know, different people come out maybe two or three times or whatever. And so this is what I tell them. If you're fasting and you come and you sit in those prayer meetings, it will not be boring to you. Now, if you're eating, you're probably going to get hungry and, you know, all that. But if you're like, we have nowhere to go. We're not, we're not eating. We have nothing to do for 48 hours. And so you start sitting there and praying. And what happens is fasting because now your mind and your spirit are coming together and they they have a greater capacity for alertness, spiritual alertness. And so you're sitting there in that prayer meeting and you just find you can sit in the presence of God and pray and worship and encourage and exhort longer, just kind of waiting in his presence than you could before. So where maybe an hour prayer meeting would seem like, oh, it's really a long one. Uh, you can go three hours and then maybe need to go take a walk or a break or go do something and come back a few hours later. So what it does, it just slows everything down. It makes you alert. It makes you hungrier for the word of God. It says, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I say in the book this, it, 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 it makes you starve yourself for food. So you find your real compass in your heart starving for Jesus. And I think that's the real accomplishment. So it, it humbles me. I'm not in charge. I'm not as strong as I think I am. Like I need food to exist. And that comes from the hand of God. But more than that, my inner soul needs words from God, needs the Holy Spirit. I need to be with Jesus. And I just think it makes it all. Or I, 
I, I, I will say this and maybe I shouldn't, but kind of in this 21 day thing. So sometimes I say things, maybe I should. And I'm going to encourage you to say it because that's what we want to hear. <laughs> I think sugar is more connected to us spiritually than we know. And the reason I think that is because the effect that sugar has on our mind. And so, like, I, I am personally right now doing something a little bit different. I think that my fasting schedule is going to change. That's one of the things I'm, I'm letting the Lord work with me during this 21 days. I think my fasting situation should change. Because I think getting rid of the sugars. It was Daniel, those guys, when they were doing Daniel fast, look. Check us after 10 days. What were they? Not, they are basically not eating the delicacies. Mm -hmm. There is something about sure. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't eat sugar, but there's something about when, when we have these fast times once in a while, it gets that out of us and starts calming our brain and our spirit down because you, you want to be able to spend time with Jesus instead of, I just spent 10 minutes with him and Mao, I'm just darting all over the place. Like I got ADD and they, you know, need to put on Ritalin or something. No, just. I like now I can go an hour, I can go two hours and rest in him. And he has time now to deeply talk to me. And, you know, the decree that we, uh, you know, you're writing in there, the longer if, if people kind of linger over that and they're doing some fasting, they'll find the Holy Spirit go deeper and deeper and deeper and talk about that. My daughter was reading uh, to us over the phone, the decree she had written for her son. He had real bad dyslexia. They thought he'd never read. And he's reading books like crazy right now. And she read the decree before he even got any help for his dyslexia. And she's just weeping because we had forgotten how deeply bad he was. And I was, as I was listening to the decree, I realized, oh, she went deep into listening to the Holy Spirit to get at little things that you would not think about. And if the Lord did not, every single one of those issues oh, wow. claim and give to her son and, and, uh, Anyway, so and and he's a he's a wonderful musician and uh, just all the things that potentially he could not have done because everything was so backwards. It was the most severe case of dyslexia they had seen. And but he when he comes over here, he'll, he'll read a book. So it's amazing. So when it comes to when it comes to fasting, uh, there have been times and I'll admit to it myself of, hey, I'm going to go for this many days and do this type of thing. There always comes a time where I go, is this really what I was supposed to do? Did God call me to this? And I wanna, I wanna pull the plug on my fast. So here's a, a very practical question. Um, when you start for a fast, and we could do a three-day water only, a media fast. I mean, I think the example could be used on anything, even like a Daniel fast. If someone starts a fast, um, but their mind's playing that those tricks on them, what, what, how would you encourage them? How, what would you say to them to say, wait a second? Uh, or, you know what? I, I was, I think I was about to answer the question I'm, I, I'm asking you. What would you say, or how would you encourage someone that is struggling with the fast that they're on? Well, let's see if this helps. I'll give you an example. Starting at this 21 day fast. And so I made the statement uh, I'm going to go off coffee for 21 days. And then when I come off the fast, I'm uh, only going to drink one or two cups of coffee a week. That's what I'm going to do. And then there were some other things that I said I was uh, going to do. And uh, I go, my wife and I, for Sabbath, oftentimes we'll take a drive. So, you know, go grab a cup of coffee and then drive and look at things. And I'm, I'm uh, in this coffee shop. I'm ordering tea. 
And I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not even thinking about it. I mean, just made the decisions. Okay. Uh, my, you know, just going to get some nice herbal tea and do that. While I'm standing there, I feel like the Holy Spirit said, I didn't ask you to do that. You didn't ask me to do what? I, I Think about it. Think through this. I didn't ask you not to drink any coffee at all for 21 days. Now, I felt like the Holy Spirit also said at the same time, I have been encouraging you for a long time to only drink one or two cups a week. But I, I we didn't mention this 21-day thing. And I just I started thinking about that. And I said, I did make that up. So it's kind of like the Holy Spirit said, if, you know, whatever you want to do here is fine with me. But don't be blaming that one on me. Don't be telling people like that, you know, because the oh you don't want coffee today no yeah you know, I'm you know I'm not drinking it for a while you know I did that whole thing I say that to say like sometimes your mind isn't playing with you you want to go back and say did he say okay because he he probably did say something but what did he say so getting that that part right the other thing is simply this and that is um, if it's not a long-term issue, just decide you're going to finish what you start. Mm, that's good. So if if your mind is playing games with you, because I'm going to go on a 40-day, I'm not going to eat anything at all for uh, 40 days. Mm, that's a long time. You better have the grace of God for that one. You better. And, and that probably, you wanted the Lord to kind of, I've done two of those, and man, it was months getting set up to do them. Months. So when I went in, I knew there was no, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to come back on it. So three days ago, you decided to start a 40 day fast a day. I, yeah, I maybe, I think, I think that's okay maybe to have, but if you're doing like a one, two, three day fast, that ain't going to kill you. It's only going to be good for you. Uh, uh, I, I would, I, I would, I would hang in there. Now, having put all that peripheral off, now I'll say this, and th this is kind of the important thing. When you quit eating, you will be tempted to eat. I, I, I think maybe this is what the Bible is saying. Every time you feel hunger, so your stomach growls or you're feeling weakened or on and on it goes. So every time you hunger, there will be a temptation to eat. Mm -hmm. Ride it out. Don't make the decision there, whatever you do. Do not decide there. Write it out. Why? Because in a couple hours, you won't be hungry again. You're, you will be off. Your mind will be on Jesus. You'll be doing other things. Get past the place of where you're being tempted. Get through that. Get Ask for the grace. Of, get me through this. I'll think about this in a couple hours. And you'll find you may not think about it again until you have a hunger pain again. And now you realize the temptation is associated with the hunger. So we're not going to fall. We're not going to follow our appetite. What we are trying to do is put ourselves in a zone where the, the Lord is talking to us. So I think these things happen. I think they happen on short term fast. I encourage people to write it unless they're having something physical or medical going on and they're just feeling all nervous about that. Then you had better, you know, make some alterations there. But I just say, I say, right, here's what I did. I, I am, I am fasting now a day a week. Okay. So, so last week I had my day fast. When I say a day a week, so I will go, I will like Wednesday night, early in the evening, like five o'clock, I quit eating. I was going to go all the way through Thursday. 
and then into uh, Friday. The other thing I'm doing, I'm trying to slow my life down. And so one thing I'm doing is I'm walking and praying. And so I'm walking to a lot of my appointments, which are five, six, seven miles away. I'll just walk there. And uh, so sure. I, I was I was walking to this appointment and praying. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get real, you know, New Testament Jesus-like and, and walking. I'm kidding. So I, I walk there and I'm walking back and I'm really getting weak. And I, I get home and I'm weak. And I'm kind of, you know, my my head is a little bit light and, huh, I, like, should I take something? And so I followed my own advice. I said, no, I'm going to let this pass. I don't feel I'm in any danger or anything. I'm going to let this pass. And wow, I probably got home at about two o'clock and I let that pass. And from about four o'clock for the rest of that night, I was, I mean, God was downloading on me. I got up in the morning and I had to travel because I was going to Missouri on Friday. And so my wife said, she said, you're going to be doing a lot of fasting next week and the week after. So she was insisting, I want you to eat before you get on that plane because you're going to be pulling luggage around and stuff. And I was in a place where I, I, I didn't care. I, I didn't need to. I was happy to go along where I was. And all I did was I just followed my own advice. I'm hungry. I'm going to let this pass through and see if there's something else that would be confirming that maybe I like taking a little something would be like eating a little fruit or something is what I would have done. So I don't know if that helps at all, but that's because I think that's a struggle for everybody. But my, what I try to do is get through the moment of the temptation and get to a place where I don't care whether I eat or not. And then ask yourself a question. And could I tell you a hundred percent of the time when I get to that other place, I never eat. Mm-hmm. It's a funny thing. I never go back and I never break it at that, at that moment. So it's just getting, it's getting through that time. So it's kind of like the alcohol. I, you know, I've given the alcoholic advice this many times. Uh, if you're trying to stay sober, you know, drive by or don't go down the road that your favorite tavern's on. Don't go down that road. So, you know, go a different way. And I think it's kind of the same thing because we all are, we are addicted to food. So it's just the way it is. So I know that sugar, uh, when it comes to one of the most addictive chemicals, including illegal drugs, yeah. uh, sugars at the top of that list. And one of the one of the things that I just kind of heard you say that I would want uh, to reword it for everyone to make sure to hear. What if the hunger pains that you're feeling now is getting you one step away from the download from God you've always wanted? Yeah. And in that moment where you succumb to flesh, Will instead of allowing humility to settle in, will you allow yourself, the God you really want to serve, to bow up, or will you just stay in that place one second longer, one minute longer, one hour longer, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you? So, absolutely powerful things. Um, Pastor Jess, do me a favor. Can you just tell everyone if they want to know more about you, the commentary that you mentioned that you've written on the different scriptures, the books that you've authored, can you just tell people how to either follow you or find you? You can't really find me real good yet. Guys here are trying to you know, build a website. So a lot of that stuff, maybe you should know this. I do not write for publication and I do not write to be known. That was something that changed in me in 93. So up to 93, uh, I was going to do everything I could to be known. I, that's a whole different story. And, 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 you know, the whole man of God syndrome and all that. And I decided I didn't want to do that. So everything I write, everything I do is for our church. 
Well, there are people, guys and pastors said, hey, you need to get some of this stuff out, make it available. And so what they're doing is they're creating a website right now in which that stuff is going to start coming in and being available. Now, there's a couple things, David, that we do do now. So you can go to thisishope.com and you can kind of, you know, find some stuff there. Another thing that you can do is I've done this thing called the Allegiant Podcast. And um, if you look up that Allegiant, the Allegiant podcast, uh, I interview people based on this whole issue of fidelity and allegiance. And that's going to be very much connected with the website. I'm imagining the website is going to probably be within the next 30 to 60 uh, days. They're just hammering some uh, things out. And then lastly, as far as like the Bible reviews, there's two things that are happening. If you go on our website, and you go to devotions. What's the what's the website? This is hope.com. Oh, okay. Okay. And you go to devotions. This I like this is really bad the way we do it. You go to our, our devotion page. And you go down there and it says you'll have you'll have like the the weekly, you'll say the either the weekly or the daily um scripture that we're reading because as a church we read the same scripture every day. And then if you'll go down, there's a button there and you can punch Bible helps. And what we bring up Every day is the chapter that we're reading. Now, it's a little bit different right now because we're in starving and that's kind of our main thing. But like in uh, at, when we're done starving, Genesis chapter one will start coming up. So you can go to Genesis one and you can see that right there. You can see Genesis one. I'll have, you know, the introduction to Genesis and then you'll see Genesis one next day, Genesis two, Genesis three. There's another thing we're doing, and I'm not trying to sell this at all. This embarrasses me to do, because again, I do I, I do this for the church. Like, I don't make any money off of starving or anything. I am a pastor, period. I, it's like this I got right. You talk about listening to the Lord. The Lord called me to be a pastor, period. He didn't say a, a pastor of this and a pastor of that. And I authored, but I don't refer to myself as an author because he called me to be a pastor. So I want to stick in my lane. Um, so if other people want to do things with it, uh, they can't. However, in at the end of this month, for a subscription, they're telling me. And I, like I say, keep me away from this because it has nothing to do with me. But people want this because they don't want to open their computers to do devotions. Mm -hmm. So in September, they'll buy a subscription like for 20 bucks. In September, they'll be sent Genesis. In Genesis, they'll have on one side, they will have a place to do their journaling. And on the other side, they will have the the bible review and so it's just right there so they so some people in our church have asked for this so they don't have to open their computer to do devotions uh on so i i think and david i can tell you later this because this is kind of getting rolling out and six months from now if you ask me this question it'd be really easy go to this website get this these books are there all of that uh you can do that but it's just it's 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 just taking some time so a lot of the ebooks that i'm writing right now i'm writing for that website Okay. Uh, that I'm trying to get uh, cleaned up and and uh, uh, get done. Uh, but if you go on This Is Hope or the Allegiant podcast, or you can call me back, or I maybe I'll just send you a note. If anyone was really interested in that subscription thing, and you, anyone listening, I am not selling or pushing that. I am a pastor. I'm just telling you what other people have available. So just so you know that. Like I, I am happy with what I do, but if it if it helps people, great. We're trying. Other people are trying to make it available. Again, I'm trying to stay in my lane and pastor my church. So. I love it. Yeah, I, I think I can hear your heart and what you're saying there. Well, 
Again, my name is David Amson. You've been listening to the Navigation Church podcast. We've had the opportunity and may I just say privilege to have Pastor Jess, the author of uh, Starving, which is one of many, many books and uh, e-books and blogs and commentaries that he's written. Um, Pastor Jess, I just want to finish our time by just saying thank you for investing uh, into me. I know we've had a wonderful conversation in the past. Uh, felt like we were able to connect, but then also um, there's a little old church in the middle of Collinsville, Illinois, and we're only known for our horseradish and the world's largest ketchup bottle. Um, but you have invested in us, not just through this podcast, but through your book, through a 21 day journey that will finish with the three day fast. And um, in case you don't hear it often enough from one pastor to another, I just so appreciate you uh, doing what you've called, what God's called you to, because it has had great impact on other places, even if they're names and faces you'll never meet before. So thank you so much for your time today. Hey, you're welcome. And let me just say this, the new heavens, the new earth is made up of a city and a garden. City America and rural America are as necessary as young and old men together. So uh, it, what you're doing out there is not insignificant. As you all know, we need a heavy dose of rural America into our city life. So I thank God for all the great people I meet that do not live in the city. And if you live in the city like me, our dream is to live in rural America. <laughs> Well, anytime you're in this area, you got a home here in Collinsville. I know uh, I know a lot of other people would say that to you, too. But thank you for your time today, sir. Well, you and I are going to get together and we're going to become better friends. I really like you, David. You're a, a wonderful guy. Thank you, sir. OK, well, we'll sign off. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to sign off on the podcast, but I'm going to say goodbye to my friend offline. So those on the Nav Church podcast, thanks for listening and make sure to share this out. Take care.